At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I just wanted to tell you, I was talking to my sister, and she asked, you know, hey, what episode are you working on? And I was like, I'm kind of working on this one about Federalist 10. You know you know what that is? And she was like, um, I imagine it continues the thoughts espoused in Federalist 9. <laughs> I, I mean, that's not the worst guess. Everyone in New York was like, man, I thought 9 was going to be the last one. How many more of these are they going to do? 76! <laughs> You're listening to Civics 101. I'm Nick Capodice. I'm Hannah McCarthy. And today, yes, we are talking about Federalist 10, the essay that is considered by many, not all, to be the most significant of the Federalist Papers. Okay, so we've done an episode on the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Papers. There's a link in the show notes for anyone who's curious. Can we just do a super quick summary of what these are? Absolutely. Federalist Papers were written to defend the ratification of the Constitution. The Constitution is proposed in Philadelphia on September 17, 1787, and then it comes time for the people to decide whether or not to ratify it. They were essays, newspaper pieces, written by James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and John Jay, and their purpose was to convince New York electors, New York delegates, and sort of the New York reading public more broadly to vote for pro-Constitution delegates to the New York Ratification Convention. I'm Jeffrey Rosen, and I'm the president and CEO of the National Constitution Center. I'm Allison LaCroix, and I'm a professor of law at the University of Chicago. The Constitution was proposed. It required nine of the 13 states to ratify it for it to become the law of the land. And New York, New York was a big state. It was an influential state, and people weren't sure which way it was going to go. New York is a swing state. It wasn't obvious that it was going to ratify the Constitution. It's split between the Hamiltonian Federalists and Anti-Federalists, led by Governor George Clinton. Aaron Burr is among those as well. So Hamilton has a really important job, which is to persuade the New York Ratifying Convention actually to ratify it. And and unless he succeeds, the the Constitution may not go into effect. They are op-eds. They're they're they're. thoughtful. They're definitely deliberative and and deep defenses of the Constitution. But Hamilton and Madison are writing to persuade, and that's what makes it so exciting to read the Federalist Papers. So often on the show, we're talking about the intent of the framers, why they set things up the way they did. And these are 85 essays that do just that, which is why we recommend them heartily, right? Mm -hmm. But what is so special about Federalist 10? Even before I had read the Federalist Papers, I'm pretty sure that I had heard that Fed 10 was like the important one for some reason. Yeah, of all the papers, it is the one most often included in middle school and high school syllabi, not to mention it being on the list of required docs for AP Gov. But 
before we jump into Federalist 10 specifically, which was one of the 29 essays written by James Madison. Hamilton did the rest. John Jay did five. I want to quickly bring up some stuff about how we refer to the collection as a whole. You really see people starting to call the whole collection the Federalist Papers around the middle of the 20th century. Um, Clinton Rossiter was one of the editors of a very influential edition that got published then. Um, So historians tend to call them the Federalist or the Federalist Essays. So we call them the Federalist Papers, but that's a relatively new phenomenon. Yeah. In 1961, Clinton Rossiter, a historian, published the collection and titled it the Federalist Papers, and the name stuck. And why the Federalist Papers? So yeah, the Federalist Party officially hadn't started yet, but this name, Federalist, implied a coalition of people who supported ratification of the Constitution and generally, generally supported a stronger federal government as opposed to the states doing everything. So I think you had people in the broader public in the middle of the 20th century reading these and talking about them and kind of an invigorated sense of interest in the essays or the papers, as they were called. And then I think Federalist 10 really kind of captured where some political thinkers and sort of social scientists were because it seemed like it was about what we would now call interest group pluralism. What does Allison mean by interest group pluralism? Well, pluralism is the idea that people with different opinions and of different backgrounds can all participate in a society together. And interest group pluralism is basically when you've got a bunch of people in a country, they all want different things, right? And what's going to happen is people are going to get together with other people who want the same thing, and they're going to work together and debate and bargain as a group, an interest group, to make that thing happen. And this grouping up is what Federalist 10 is all about. It's all about one magic word. What's the magic word? The central warning of Federalist 10 is the danger of faction. Faction. Factions. Faction. Factions are what the framers most fear. And to understand what they are, let's hear the words of the man who wrote the essay. This is James Madison in Federalist 10. By a faction, I understand a number of citizens, whether amounting to a majority or a minority of the whole, who are united and actuated by some common impulse of passion or of interest adverse to the rights of other citizens or to the permanent and aggregate interests of the community. All right, let me see if I can say that another way. Madison believes a faction is a group of people who have a shared interest. And that interest specifically violates the rights of other people or goes against the better good of the community. That's a pretty darn good paraphrase, Hannah. Just to double check here, factions are not the same things as parties? Allison says no. I mean, he meant groups in society, but he, I don't think he meant the way, again, that in the modern era, we tend to think like, oh, factions. So that's Republicans and Democrats, or that's people who live in cities, or that's women or Southerners or, you know, African-Americans. I think his notion was that they are sort of any group that, in his view, was kind of splitting up 
the citizenry. However, we didn't have any political parties when we got started, but they did happen almost immediately. And pretty soon, the Federalists are saying the Jeffersonian Republicans are a faction. And the Jeffersonians are saying, I know you are, but what am I? You guys are the faction. So there's a, a big dispute about whether or not parties are factions or not. And each side says the other guy is a faction. And that sets in motion this series of question about whether or not parties are good ways of aggregating common interests and serving the good as a whole, or whether they uh, represent um, forms of faction. The Federalist Paper doesn't answer those questions, but it does tell us that whatever factions are, they're the main threat to the Union. And what's so significant about Federalist 10 is that at the end of their lives, all the main framers are concerned about whether or not the Republic will survive because they fear that factions may overtake the Union. So if he wasn't talking about parties initially, what kinds of groups did Madison think were splitting up the citizenry? What did he think would theoretically take over the Union? Well, let's ask, what, what, what did the framers have in mind when they talked about factions? And they had in mind something called Shays' Rebellion. So just before the Constitutional Convention meets... In western Massachusetts, armed mobs of debtors who can't pay their debts because of the inflation that followed the Revolutionary War are mobbing the courthouses and closing down the system of justice. And this vision of armed violent mobs who are fighting the rule of law is so threatening to the framers that they determined to call the Constitution to avoid precisely that danger. All right, Shay's Rebellion... I know about this one. We talked about it in our Articles of Confederation episode. Since the Articles created a very small federal government and left everything up to the states to decide for themselves, some states made the themselves decision to not pay taxes. So there was no money to pay soldiers who had fought in the Revolutionary War. And the whole thing was just a real mess. It certainly was. And that fits Madison's notion of factions because it was an armed mob shutting down the government. Shays and others feel it is in their best interest, but opposes the interests of the much larger community. Yeah. So this essay is about factions, and it says that they are a problem. Does Madison think we can prevent them in any way? Um, not really. No, Madison says that factions are, quote, sown in the nature of man, end quote. So they're going to happen. People are going to get together and try to make changes that benefit them. We are humans. We want things. All right. So what do we do? Well, Madison lists two remedies to the ailment of faction. And I'll read his words here. Quote, the one by destroying the liberty, which is essential to its existence. The other by giving every citizen the same opinions, same passions, and the same interests. That's not going to fly. No, it certainly will not. But then he goes on to say, okay, I think we're going to have them. Nothing we can do. But you know what? Maybe, just maybe, that's not a problem. Nick, why are you playing corporate inspo music under this? Just maybe this system we're making right here is kind of the only one that can handle factions. And this, this is why Federalist 10 is so important. It outlines why the proposed democratic republic in which we now live just might outlast all the others. And I'm going to tell you why right after this break. 
But before that break, I just want to remind our listeners that it is our podcast fundraiser right now, and you can support our endless quest to educate the American public, and that includes us, about how things work in this country. You can get a Civics 101 hat, that's right, and NHPR Merino Wool Socks with a $10 a month donation. Check it out at our website, civics101podcast.org. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Skip the waiting room. TireRack.com now offers convenient mobile tire installation in select areas. Simply shop TireRack.com for your next set of tires, and at checkout, choose Tire Rack Mobile Tire Installation. An expertly trained technician will arrive with your tires and install them on site, at home, at the office, wherever you are. You'll spend less time waiting and more time doing the things you enjoy. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Hey there, everyone. Hey, folks. The whole Civics 101 team is here in D.C. for a week. That's why you hear cars and stuff whizzing by. Uh, We are in the district to talk to the people that we talk about on a daily basis. And a lot of those people work in the executive branch. That is the largest employer in the world. And a lot of those people work in the civil service, where, after the assassination of James Garfield, it's a long story, they take an exam to make sure that they are the right person for their job. But if you run a business, and you're not the federal government, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all, but to match instead. With Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 23 hires are made on Indeed every minute, and their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use it, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash civics. Just go to Indeed.com slash civics right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash civics. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. We're back. We're talking Federalist 10. And Nick, we were just at the part where you tell me why Madison thinks the Constitution is just so great. (laughs) I was. I was. And to talk about that, we've got to talk about the people who did not think the Constitution was all that. I like to use Federalist 10 as a counterpoint to Brutus number one. Wait, is that Ryan? It is indeed. This is Ryan Warenka. He's a dear friend of the show. He's an AP Gov teacher at Troy High School in Michigan. He was in our episode helping students prep for the AP Gov exam. And he mentioned Brutus. Brutus one is an anti-Federalist essay. Brutus was written by, it is believed, Robert Yates, also of New York. And his essays against the Constitution came out before the Federalist Papers, so Madison could respond to his arguments. And they all used pseudonyms, by the way. Uh, Madison, Hamilton, and Jay went under the pen name Publius. And there were a host of names for the Anti-Federalists, like Brutus or Cato, Sentinel. I think my favorite name is a Maryland farmer. A Maryland farmer. You know, he thought the president 
and the Senate should serve for life. Oop, okay. Well, never judge a book by its cover, I guess. Anyways, back to Brutus 1. Brutus has numerous objections to the Constitution, that it's going to create uh, a large centralized republic and the states would suffer, the state legislatures and the state you know, courts are going to be powerless and meaningless and that the, you know, large republic is just too far away from the public to really truly represent it. Madison argues that the large republic is actually better um, and it would start to move all the states in the same direction. And because of the size of the republic, it's going to require openness and cooperation um, across state lines and regional lines. So in other words, because we are so big... If we're ever going to get anything done, we have to all work together. Uh, exactly. And Ryan says in his class, he equates Federalist 10 with the last rap battle in 8 Mile. Have you seen it? Here, tell these people something they don't know about me. Like where Eminem is basically saying, you know, like all that stuff you're saying about me is true and I'm proud of it. Yeah. And Madison is the Eminem in this story. He sort of flips the script on Brutus. Brutus says the federal government will be too far from the people. Okay, maybe that's true, but we have representatives. They are going to be close to the people, and then all those representatives come together from their different states and they hash everything out. And also, speaking of size, our large size as a nation will take care of factions as well. Here is Jeff Rosen again. Madison says, in fact, and um, a large republic is better in this regard because in a very large republic, it'll be hard for factions to discover each other. And by the time they do, they'll get tired and go home. So the difficulty of having factions be able to coordinate when you've got a really big territory like America is actually a great way of dissipating the passions of factions and having a cooling mechanism and letting people have sober second thoughts. Isn't that amazing? That's uh, these two crucial things allow for a republic in a big territory, first representation, and second, the fact that the large size just makes it hard for passionate factions to organize and discover each other and therefore will ensure the rule of reason rather than passion. I mean, Madison didn't know that Facebook would happen, Nick. I promise you I will get back to that, Hannah. You better. So Madison is saying we'll be a representative democracy, not a direct democracy, and we will be a federal republic, and that is why it will work. And we've all got to be Republicans. Small r Republicans, as in the political philosophy that goes back to Athens. I mean, I imagine you're not talking about modern-day GOP Republicans. Here is Allison LaCroix again. And so republicanism for Madison, as for lots of other people in that founding generation, small r republicanism, and it, it's an idea, it's an ideology that has this content and it's content about the public good, virtue, um, that people have to be selfless. Now it's realist in that Madison and lots of others recognized that that was going to be hard, that people were, would want to be off you know, making money or doing whatever they wanted to do for their sort of private gain. But republicanism was about and this is part of why they invoked so many of those classical authors and texts, was this notion that one would sort of put the public good above one's own individual good. Nick. What, Hannah? Um, all right, it sounds really good. Small r republicanism is great on paper. You know, civic virtue, everybody working toward the common good, respect for the rule of law, all of those lovely ideas. 
And don't get me wrong, the Federalist Papers were persuasive. New York ended up ratifying the Constitution, and here we are in a studio talking about it. But these ideas have a couple of gaps in them after 250 years. The idea that a faction cannot pick up steam because people are far away has a rather large internet-sized hole in it. It does. Discord and Twitter, or whatever it's called now, X and Instagram, represent Madison's nightmare. His entire vision for avoiding the dangers of faction is speed bumps and roadblocks that will allow reason slowly to disseminate across the land. And in particular, he has in mind a class of enlightened journalists that he calls the literati, people like himself and and Hamilton, who write these long, complicated essays in the newspapers and allow people to deliberate with their representatives in coffee houses and ensure slow, thoughtful deliberation over time. Social media is the opposite of that. In fact, it's it's, it's literally a dystopian vision that Madison would have hoped to avoid. So Jeff opened his conversation with me talking about Shay's Rebellion. So I had to end it by asking about the modern political climate. Maybe Madison wouldn't call our two parties factions, but what about the far edges of a party? Like what about the recent example of an armed insurrection on the nation's capital? We have a breach of the capital. Breach of the capital. They're requesting additional resources on the east side as they've broken into that window and they're trying to kick it in. We will not be kept out of this chamber by thugs, mobs, or threats. Whatever a faction is, armed mobs representing a minority of the population that are threatening the rule of law and trying to subvert the Constitution are it. That's exactly what the Constitution is designed to avoid by any measure. An armed insurrection against the processes of government is a faction, and Madison would have tried to resist it at all costs. Jeff says the fringes of today's parties are arguably in the thralls of faction in a way that Madison feared. But Ryan told me that even though a faction can be created on Discord in five minutes— He still teaches Federalist 10 to his students, and he still feels it stands the test of time. I think in a modern context, Fed 10 really does still kind of hold up, um, especially when you're looking at, you know, the the Internet being used to create factions uh, across state lines on social media platforms and things like that. Um, But in a way, Federalist 10 Madison's proving his point. These factions could be created or are being created, but you're ending up seeing them out in the open and across regional lines. So really, Madison's argument in Federalist 10 proved to be pretty accurate. I think one of my favorite things about the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Papers is that they're a debate in writing. Nobody got everything they wanted. Hamilton and Madison admitted imperfections. They acknowledged that every other republic before us failed eventually. They were honest about their fears of what could happen to this new nation. They knew that people make mistakes. I mean, one could see that as an argument for, again, today, we would think of it as democracy in the broadest possible sense, right? That it's not the case that what the maximum number of voters at any one time might say is right. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the public good. But, you know, if we don't have 
true representation, we know that that's much farther from the public good. So that might be one thing to take away, that he thinks, um, you know, there are always going to be these passions and interests, but that there might be structures that can mediate them. I, I mean, I find that somewhat comforting too. The idea that it's not like the founders were operating in a world where everybody was this virtuous public-minded person. They weren't. They knew people weren't. So they were saying things that were their sort of best educated guesses, not maxims handed down from the mountaintop, but they were also realists. And I, I think that's a hopeful vision. Well, that is a gentle touch of Federalist 10, though there is a whole lot more for you to explore. I couldn't even get into the people who think that it's not such a big deal. I'll do that another time, if you want. This episode was made by me, Nick Capodice, with you, Hannah McCarthy. Thank you. Christina Phillips is our senior producer, and Rebecca Lavoy, our executive producer. Music in this episode by Blue Dot Sessions, Scott Holmes, Ikimashu Oi, Howard Harper Barnes, Timothy Infinite, Spring Gang, Francis Wells, Bio Unit, Azura, and that Brooklyn farmer, Chris Zabriskie. Civics 101 is a quartet, not a faction, and it's a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio. Woo! Skip the waiting room. TireRack.com now offers convenient mobile tire installation in select areas. Simply shop TireRack.com for your next set of tires, and at checkout, choose Tire Rack Mobile Tire Installation. An expertly trained technician will arrive with your tires and install them on-site, at home, at the office, wherever you are. You'll spend less time waiting and more time doing the things you enjoy. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.